The third mitzvah that appears in the Torah, and it's the final mitzvah in the book of Genesis. There's only three mitzvahs. We already did the first two, procreation, circumcision. The third one appears in chapter 32, the end of chapter 32 of Genesis, and that is the prohibition against eating the sciatic nerve in an, in an animal. So even if you have a kosher animal, there are parts of the animal that are still not kosher. Most notably, the chelev, which is various fats, and this did hanasha, the sciatica. In practice, in most Jewish slaughterhouses, kosher slaughterhouses, they'll actually take the whole hindquarters, the whole back part of the animal, and they'll just sell it uh, to the non-kosher market. Uh, because, as we'll see a little bit later, part of the processing of a kosher animal is not only slaughtering it in the, in the way prescribed by the Torah, uh, but also carving out the prohibited fats and this sciatica from the animal. And that is a very difficult process. It's a, it's a, it's a process that you have to be very highly skilled and trained in doing it. You have to know exactly the entire anatomy of the animal to know which parts to cut out and how to remove it and the whole deal. Then you say, you know what? Send it to the non-Jewish market and be done with it. To be clear, the hind quarters of the animal are not necessarily not kosher. It's just that the process is either too difficult, it's too expensive. You have to have the experts or the expertise of doing it is, uh, is somewhat of a dying art. And therefore, as a matter of practice, generally speaking, it's not available in the kosher market. However, that said, there are some communities that they still practice what's called nikor, which means like carving out these prohibited parts and they still you could still get all those awesome steaks that we see at the uh, the back part of the animal in some kosher markets but some places they say you know what we're not dealing with this there's plenty of good meat on the uh, front part of the animal and that's it so where does this mitzvah appear in the torah so you know this week we're gonna read about abraham and then we'll move on to isaac and finally we'll meet jacob and Jacob is going to have a very eventful life. He's going to have a brother who wants to kill him. He's going to usurp the blessings. He's going to flee, spend 20 years with his uncle who becomes his father-in-law by giving him two of his daughters in a deceptive way. Eventually ends up with four wives and 11 children. And in the middle of the night, they decide to flee and leave Laban and move, go back to Israel. And the Torah tells us a lot about what happens to him from when he leaves Laban, escapes essentially in the middle of the night, until he arrives in Israel. Along the way, Laban pursues him. They have like a standoff overnight. God appears to Laban in a dream, tells him don't mess with Jacob. And um, he deals with that threat. And then he sends scouts ahead. And then Esau is coming to him with 400 warriors. And then Jacob is stranded in the middle of the night. And he's... He crosses over a river, a river by himself, so he has his whole household on one side of the river. He's on the other side of the river. It's the middle of the night. He's vulnerable, and he has a skirmish with a man. And they're struggling, and they're fighting in the war in the whole night. And in the morning, the man says, let me go. I have stuff that I need to do. And he says, I'm not going to let you go. You have, to, you have to give me a blessing. But a part of that skirmish, the man sees that he cannot overwhelm Jacob. And he strikes him on his thigh, and he dislocates his thigh. 
And then the story continues. The man gives him a blessing. He changes his name from Jacob to Israel or adds a name more precisely. Abraham is initially called, initially called Abraham and Abraham becomes Abraham. So the name is converted. Whereas with Jacob, it's not a new name. It's just an additional name. So Jacob is now Jacob or Israel alternatively. And Jacob goes back to his family. The sun comes out and he heals him and the chapter ends. Therefore, the Jewish people in the future, that is, don't eat this part of the animal, this part of the animal that's lying on the hip because of what happened to Jacob, our forefather. Now, the commentaries tell us, Rashi brings it down, the Talmud tells us that this man was not an ordinary man. It was an angel masquerading as a man. And this kind of shows us some of some of Jacob's prowess that he's able to struggle and battle with an angel and the angel did not find any place to attack him, only this place. And therefore, as a result of this episode, says the Torah, we don't eat this part of the animal. So we'll get into kind of the reasons behind it, but that's the, the, the backstory of this mitzvah. There's a struggle Jacob has with the angel, the angel of Esau. He can't overcome him the whole night. He only finds one area of vulnerability and Jacob is struck and he's limping, but very quickly he gets healed, but he survives the episode. And therefore, says the Torah, we don't, don't eat the part of the animal that corresponds to the part of Jacob that was smitten by the angel. Okay, so that's the, that's the bad story. Now, all the commentaries give us various different understandings. So what's the meaning behind this? Why, because of this episode that happened to Jacob, don't we eat the animal, the, the part of the animal corresponding to the part of Jacob that was injured? I couldn't think of another mitzvah in the Torah where the mitzvah seems to be entirely related to an event that happened. Of course, there's many mitzvahs that relate to the Exodus, but it's like this is an event that happened to a single individual. Granted, it's our forefather, it's, it's Jacob, so it's a more significant individual, but it's a singular event and it's immortalized with a mitzvah to remember this event. So it's kind of an interesting, unique characteristic of this mitzvah uh, that I, I, I couldn't recall of any other uh, such example. So what are the reasons behind this? What's this idea? Jacob has a struggle with an angel. He wins, or at least it's a stalemate. He doesn't lose. But the, the angel is able to find like one area where Jacob is susceptible and he renames him and then the episode really ends. Uh, but we're told to remember it with this mitzvah. So the Sefer Chinuch, which is the book that we're following again uh, in the order of the mitzvahs, he gives us some of the meaning behind it. He says that in this episode, Jacob is renamed Israel. And the commentaries already tell us that whatever happens to Jacob and whatever struggles Jacob has, they're not limited to him as an individual, but they're emblematic of everything that's going to happen to the Jewish people. What happens to Jacob, who's also called Israel, is going to happen to the Jewish people, the people of Israel, over the course of their history. So there's going to be a long struggle. And it's going to be overnight. And it's going to take a long time and no one's going to know who's going to win. But ultimately, Israel will prevail over Esau. That's a theme that we see macro Jewish history. But it's not going to be without any injury. Ultimately, we'll survive, but we may be injured along the process. And therefore, this is supposed to be like a, an encouragement for the Jewish people amidst the exile. 
amidst the nighttime, where we're suffering so much due to Esau, and not just Esau himself, but his forces, his descendants, the forces that emanate from Esau, we're going to suffer, but it's sort of a consolation to know that ultimately we're going to prevail. And through remembering this story, this episode that happened to Jacob, it will strengthen our faith and our righteousness, knowing that ultimately we will survive. So that's the first idea. Now, we'll see some more ideas in a little bit. But as a general rule, this part of the animal is prohibited. The only way around it is via a process called nikur, which is like careful way, in a, in a careful manner, removing all the prohibited parts of the animal. Now, the term nikur actually applies to all prohibited parts of the animal. So not, it's not just the sciatic, or also the fats, the chalev, the various fats. Uh, but that's the general idea. And it's interesting that commentaries point out that this is the one part of Torah that you can't just study from a book. You can't just say, I'm going to learn everything there is, there, there is about this and I'll become an expert at Nikkor. You actually have to go to the slaughterhouse. You have to deal with the actual animal and learn how to remove all the parts and, and get a very deep understanding, knowledge of the anatomy of these animals. And through that and through your apprenticeship under someone who has experienced done this before, you become an expert and, and fulfill this requirements. Actually, if you're interested, I watched the video where this uh, very famous rabbi is, is like going through a cow. And he's telling you, you know, what's where. And he's like, he knows where every single vein is. But splitting between the 11th and the 12th rib, there's veins. He pulls them out and he's able to show you. There's this vein, there's that vein. Uh, people are real experts. The actual knicker for the sciatica is very rare to see it today. There's only a few places that actually serve those uh, very choice parts of the animal. Because already like 100 years ago, it became less and less common. People were a little scared of doing it. You had to be such an expert to do it. And there weren't enough experts to go around. So it's, it's like a very, it's very much a dying art. What is interesting that there's one offering in the temple, the Pesach offering. And one of the requirements of the offering is that no part of the animal is discarded. So today... We could just say, you know what, we'll subsist with all these other amazing meats, and we could just sell the rest of the non the rest of the problematic meats to the non kosher market. That we could do today. Temples rebuilt tomorrow, let's say, and Pesach comes. We have to bring the Pesach offering. We can't just say, you know what, we'll take half of the animal and just give it away. You can't. You have to eat every single part that's edible. So that's why it's very important that we don't lose this still. Because if we lost this still, then we have a major problem comes Pesach time. And I would imagine if the temple is rebuilt tomorrow, let's imagine just for the sake of argument, there's going to be massive conventions where a few old probably Yemenite rabbis who still know how to do this are going to teach everyone how to do this so that we can learn this still again, make sure that it becomes a widespread knowledge in time for Pesach. Now, it's interesting, the Rambam, in his, in his take on, uh, on the Pesach offering, he actually says that you don't remove the sciatic nerve before you roast it, which is a very surprising opinion because the, that part of the animal is not kosher. 
So if you're roasting, it's like you're roasting part of the kosher animal with a non-kosher animal, without, as if it's a non-kosher animal. But he says because it's so critical to not lose a single speck of the meat, you actually remove the sciatica after it's roasted because it's easier to remove it and not to remove any of the meat with it. Whereas the other comments say, no, well, you're crazy. We're going to cook the, the animal with part of its non-kosher components with it. Now we'll remove it beforehand like we do uh, with other animals that we're butchering. Okay, I want to go through some of the other reasons that we see amongst the commentators. So we saw the first idea, it's kind of like inspiration, it's comfort for us throughout the exile. Jacob ultimately triumphed over the angel of Esau. We too will ultimately triumph, will ultimately survive. Um, so one of the commentators says that this is to remember the miracle done to Jacob. After all, Jacob was our forefather. He was struggling with an angel. If you were to give odds, a human versus an angel, they're struggling overnight. Who's going to win? Obviously, you would give it to the angel. And here, Jacob not only survives, but he's able to extract a blessing from the angel that essentially we're still enjoying till today. So that's a wonderful miracle that happened to Jacob. And therefore, to remember that, we have this prohibition to remind us of that episode. That's the first answer. The Sephorno, he says something I think very, find very fascinating. He says, well, Jacob, ultimately, he did sustain some injuries. He was hobbled. He did dislocate his hip. Now, granted, by the next morning, it was already healed. God healed him, brought out the sun, and he wasn't hobbling anymore. But he, there was some vulnerability that was exposed. And therefore, we want to render the damage done to Jacob insignificant. By taking this part of the animal and saying, we're not interested in it, essentially we're saying is that part of the animal doesn't matter. And therefore, yes, Jacob was hit there, but so what? It's not a significant injury to him, and therefore, it's not a big deal. Whereas if this was such a primary part of the animal, if this was a primary part of Jacob, then the damage done to it would be more significant. Another one of the commentaries tells us that this is a punishment for the sons of Jacob. Jacob had 12 muscular sons. And he had to go back on the other side of the river to find, to take some things that he had left there. Obviously, he's transporting things over. But his sons make a critical blunder by letting him go across the stream alone in the middle of the night. And they left him exposed to potential danger. And therefore, these sons are being punished for allowing their father to go unattended and not accompanying him and allowing him to be vulnerable to, to, to being attacked. Therefore, his sons are being punished for forever, so to speak, that they cannot eat that. The damage is something that they're responsible for, and therefore they're going to pay a price for. And therefore, for the rest of time, the sons of Israel have to go through this very difficult process of either removing it or selling it, not, not getting to enjoy those succulent steaks. So why was Jacob vulnerable specifically in his thighs? One of the questions that's asked here. Because this seems like it's, um, it's, uh, it's, yes, it, it seems like it's a physical struggle, but it's really, it's really a battle that's happening in the spiritual realm. You know, Jacob and his forces or the forces of Jacob, whatever that is, 
he's fighting with the angel. So one of the commentaries says something very instructive, I think. He says, he says that the whole night, the angel is trying to find some area where Jacob's not perfect. Because if Jacob is perfect, he's impervious. And he's inspecting every part of him, and Jacob is just perfect. He's, he's, he's totally spiritually unblemished, and therefore, he, he can't be attacked. But the thigh is where he found the vulnerability. Now, it's interesting. The thigh appears earlier in Genesis when Abraham sends his servant to go find a spouse for, for Isaac. He has him swear by grabbing onto his thigh. Why is he grabbing onto his thigh? Because the thigh is where the mitzvah that Abraham has. Just like you swear in a Torah scroll. What was Abraham's Torah scroll? What was the one mitzvah that Abraham had from God? That was the circumcision. So the thigh is representative of the circumcision area. And therefore, if you're going to put your hand on something holy, that's where he put his hand on. It says the commentary here. Jacob was perfect. He kept all of Torah like all the forefathers did. But there was one mitzvah that he didn't fulfill. And that is the prohibition against marrying two sisters. Prohibition of the Torah, you're not allowed to marry two sisters. And Jacob was married to Leah and her sister, Rachel. Of course, Jacob was deceived into it. And Jacob also had an excuse because Torah, after all, was not yet commanded. And therefore, he was doing it pro bono. He was, he was not obligated to do it, but he did it anyhow. And in fact, the Ramban, for example, writes that the forefathers observed the Torah only inside Israel, but not outside of Israel. And therefore, Jacob married the two sisters outside of Israel. And therefore, when they're about to enter the land of Israel, well, who dies? Rachel. Because she was the second sister that he had married. And therefore, she was the one whose union encroached upon the prohibition of marrying two sisters. And therefore, she's the one who had to die. That's what the Ramban says. Even though Jacob may have had ample excuses why he married two sisters, ultimately, it the, this fact allowed for him to be vulnerable in that area. And that's why he was struck in that area. My grandfather says something interesting. He says that, uh, the reason why we have this mitzvah, because Jacob, of course, represents purity and holiness. Esau was the other side. And that's the place where impurity was able to touch. And therefore, that kind of created impurity in this area. And therefore, we don't want to eat it. And in fact, in Kabbalah, it says, if someone eats this nerve, this vein, this whatever it is, this part of the animal, they're probably going to forget their Torah study. I want to add one more reason that I saw in one of the Kabbalistic sources. It says something very, very enlightening. It says, quotes the Talmud. Talmud says that there's 365 negative mitzvahs, restrictions, prohibitions, and they correspond to 365 sinews that exist in a man. But they also correspond to 365 days in the year. Thus, According to this architecture, every negative mitzvah prohibition has a corresponding did, which means sinew or tendon or muscle or nerve, and it has also corresponding day of the year. So, for example, one of the commentaries says that the prohibition against idolatry, the second of the Ten Commandments, that corresponds to Yom Kippur. That's one of the commentaries says. Here, I find something interesting. The one day 
that the Jews are most vulnerable where both temples were destroyed. It's the ninth day of Av. Says this commentary, quoting from the uh, Kabbalistic sources, the sinew that corresponds to that day, to that mitzvah, is the sciatica. And that's the same mitzvah. So the mitzvah and the sinew and the day are this mitzvah, this prohibition, this part of the body, both the, 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 our body and the animal's body, and the day is the ninth day of Av. And thus, this is the only part where Jacob is vulnerable, and that's the only part he could be attacked on, and that's the only day the Jewish people are the most vulnerable, that's the only day the temple could be destroyed. If they tried to destroy the temple on any other day of the year, it wouldn't have happened. I found that uh, very eye-opening. But regardless, this is the last and final mitzvah in the book of Genesis. The next mitzvah we're going to see is the first mitzvah in the book of Exodus. It appears in chapter 12. And we will see that, please God, next week.